Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been presenting a series of study on the book of Hebrews going through it verse by verse, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. I was speaking about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9 in the previous broadcast, and today I'm going to go ahead and move forward into Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. Now, something that's very important to understand is that if the people will really believe what the writer has written in this letter to the Hebrews, if the Hebrews will truly embrace the truths that have been revealed through this letter, then they are going to experience some serious consequences, especially in Jerusalem and within the surrounding religious communities in Israel. People are going to experience some very serious consequences if they believe the things that are written in this letter. And I'm not just referring to the fact that the writer speaks of the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, that he is greater than the angels, that he is greater than the priesthood, that he's greater than Moses in the earlier chapters, in the first few chapters. I'm not just referring to that, because certainly there was some persecution that people experienced because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. But there were many people who were believers in Jerusalem who did not experience persecution. And I believe that the reason why they did not experience significant persecution was because even though they may have believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they did not understand the implications of what he had actually accomplished for them. To me, the evidence is very clear in the historical records that we have that the early church there in Jerusalem, the Hebrews there, did not fully embrace the implications of what Jesus had done for them. And what I'm referring to is, of course, an understanding concerning the forgiveness of sins and the importance of resting and trusting in his forgiveness for their lack of faith, for their failures, for their sins. And also to understand that because of that, they are set free from the law. If they would understand that they were set free from the law because they would understand forgiveness, then they would be isolated from the activities of the temple just because of that. But I sincerely believe the Hebrews there in Jerusalem were struggling, struggling in a very profound way concerning the subject of the law. And it's my opinion that the reason why there was such a struggle was because of a misunderstanding of forgiveness, which is why I believe the writer emphasized that so much, especially in Hebrews chapter 10. He emphasized the subject of forgiveness in order to show them that they had to rest in the complete forgiveness of sins. Otherwise, they could not say that they truly believed in Jesus because they would not be believing in what he actually came to accomplish for them. But if the people would begin to believe that and then follow through with that to realize the implications of that concerning the law of God in their lives, that it would no longer have a place in their lives, if they would follow through with that, then they would find themselves being separated from the temple. Now, by saying that, I'm also expressing the fact 
that if people did not embrace that, even though they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, if they did not embrace the complete forgiveness of sins, in addition to that, then they would not depart from the temple. Instead, they would go back into the Mosaic Law with greater enthusiasm, perhaps, than they had before, and they would live a life of a Pharisee, of a religious Jew, that they would be perfectly welcome there in the temple, in the temple compound, amongst the priests, amongst the other Pharisees. All they had to do was just live in the way that they believed that they should live, and just simply not mention that they believed that Jesus was going to return. And there, of course, would be no need to really mention that, because if he's going to return, he's going to return. And when he does, then they can just find out for themselves then. Because everybody there in Israel had already been confronted with the Lord Jesus and his message, they would have already had an opportunity to make their choice concerning that. There's no reason to continue to speak about it and do what we call beat a dead horse, if that's a good expression to use in this context. I don't know, but it's the first thing that comes to mind while I'm speaking about this. But I want you to understand that there would be an opportunity for the Hebrews who believed in Jesus to depart from the temple, but on the other hand, if they did not embrace the message that was described in this letter to the Hebrews, if they would not embrace this message, then they would not depart from the temple. The writer makes this very clear at the end of this letter in Hebrews chapter 13. He makes it very clear that the people have to separate themselves from the temple, and that it's okay to do that. And the way that he expresses this is by saying, look, the priesthood says that they are something unique and special. They assert their authority over you, laying claim to the notion that they have a right to eat at the altar where you present your sacrifices, but you do not. The writer explains here that you have the right to eat at a different altar, The reason why he's able to say this is because the altar there in Jerusalem, the temple there in Jerusalem, was nothing more than a copy. It was not the real temple of God. It was a copy. It was a counterfeit, to use that word. I've explained this in previous broadcasts when I spoke about Jesus being our high priest. But here I would like to mention it again because I believe the writer found it to be so important that he is mentioning it again at the end of his letter. That there is a true temple, a true tabernacle that is in heaven where Jesus is. This is not the same temple that is in Jerusalem. It is not the same altar. The one that they have there is a copy, it is a counterfeit, it is not the real thing. And while the Hebrews who were observing the Mosaic law as best they could there in Jerusalem, while they were doing that, there at the temple, they were making an assumption. They were making an assumption that that was the place of God. But our God made it very clear that it was not truly the real place of God. It was a copy. It was a counterfeit It was a temporary place that was established for the purpose of bringing forth the Messiah, who has now been brought forth, and now he is associated with the true temple, the true tabernacle. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10, it is written that we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Consider the impact of that statement in the lives of a Hebrew, where they lived under the authority of the Levitical priesthood. And the Levitical priesthood would, of course, remind them of that quite often, I'm sure, the fact that they have authority over the people, that God gave them that authority, and that the evidence of that is that the 
priesthood has a right to eat at the tabernacle. But the writer here says very clearly that they may have a right to eat at that tabernacle, and you may have no right to eat at that tabernacle. But you have a right to eat at the true tabernacle of God because of what Jesus has done for you, and they have no right to eat at that tabernacle because they do not believe in what Jesus has done for them. That is a very important realization that the Hebrews would have to encounter, that they would have to recognize in order to separate themselves from the Mosaic law so that they can embrace not the Old Covenant, but the New Covenant, the New Covenant that has gone into effect where he remembers our sins no more has made this possible. He goes on in verse 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. That's the foreshadowing of the offerings that were presented by the high priest on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. Those offerings were taken outside of the camp, outside of the temple compound, outside of the city. They were taken out. Just as those offerings were taken out, so also the Lord Jesus was taken out. That is a prophetic inference that has been revealed by the law, one of the reasons why the law was given. The law was given, of course, in order to show us that we could not live a holy and righteous life, that we could not be sinless. It was also given in order to stir up some more sin in our life. The Apostle Paul gave a wonderful example concerning coveting when it came to that, that he would have not known what it was to covet until the law said, do not covet. And through the law, through the commandment, it stirred within him every covetous desire. And so, no, the law does not help you get rid of sin in your life. It helps you have more sin in your life. That's what it really does. It also provides us with some wonderful foreshadowings that have now been revealed concerning the relationship that we have with Christ Jesus, and I've explained that with some examples. My favorite, of course, is concerning the Sabbath law. It was also given for the purpose of providing us with prophetic inferences, and I believe that that's what this is, is a revelation of a prophetic inference that just as the offering for sin was burned outside the camp, so also in verse 12, this is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In other words, we have to separate ourselves from the temple. Go out from the temple. Go out from this counterfeit, from this copy. It had its purpose. That's true, but its purpose has been accomplished. Now that it has been accomplished, step aside from it and go into the new covenant and experience the living God through the Lord Jesus, his Messiah, the one who presides over the true tabernacle of God. Continuing into verse 14, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Now, that's a very profound statement to suggest that Jerusalem was not going to be a lasting city. Well, it wasn't. It was destroyed shortly after this letter was written. This should give you some very good evidence concerning this and to recognize that there is another city that is a permanent city, a lasting city, and that, of course, is the city of God that the priesthood had no access to, 
no access to whatsoever because they did not believe in the true priest, in the one priest, the Lord Jesus. In verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. They may have presented sacrifices to our God, the shedding of blood, the giving of grain, salt, things like that. That was something that they did in accordance with the law of Moses. But the Lord is not interested in that. He has something else in mind. And I don't think it's the sacrifice of praise as in a praise and worship service like we usually see. I think he's referring to the thanksgiving that we give thanks to him. And I believe that because he says in a qualifying way, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Our offering, our sacrifice is nothing more than our expression of thankfulness. That is the beginning of the Christian life. It is a life of thankfulness. And that is the end of the Christian life. Our Christian life, the entire life that we have before us, is nothing more than a life of thankfulness for what he has already done for us, for the freedom that he has given to us, not to go out and indulge the flesh, but so that we might know our God, because beforehand there was no opportunity to truly know our God, but now we can know his love, we can know his acceptance, we can know his very character, we can know how he sees the world, We can see the world through his eyes. We can hear the world through his ears. He will provide us with discernment and understanding as he sees what he has created. He will enable us and allow us to participate in what he is doing. We can become living, active participants in the world that he has created, just as he is a living, active participant in the world that he has created. And the works that he prepares for us are those that we can walk in with thankfulness, regardless of the outcome that we may perceive. That is the sacrifice of praise, as is described in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. And he continues into verse 16, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Well, what do we do that is good, especially in the context of sharing? Well, we share what we have received. That's what we share. If we have nothing, we share nothing. And all that we have, everything that I have that is of any value whatsoever, is what my God has given to me. And what he has given to me is himself. And I am very thankful that he has given himself to me. And I share him with you, which is an act of goodness It is nothing more than giving to others what you have received. And you can do that easily when you're living a life of thankfulness for what he has given to you. It is nothing more than a natural expression of a life of thankfulness when you recognize what has been given to you and what you truly have to be thankful for. You will share what you have with others. He continues on into verse 17. And I believe that this is his approach to closing his letter, where he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, I understand that there are a number of governments 
that we have had throughout the course of history that have not looked after the souls of their people. And so you will have to make a decision concerning that to determine which ones you're actually willing to submit to. Because if you have a government who is wanting to destroy your soul and not watch over it, then I don't believe that that's what he had in mind. At least not in this verse. If you'd like to believe that, I think you're going to have to go somewhere else, but not here. Where, I don't know. But here, he definitely, in my opinion, says that if there is a government who is definitely looking out for your best interest, then don't give them any more problems than they already have. There's no need to do that. It's a very practical statement, in my opinion. And then in verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he ends his letter by making reference to Timothy, which tells me that this is quite likely the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Now, his reference to the will of God, as he expressed it in verse 21, I sincerely believe that his reference goes back to chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, where he explained that the will of God is the description of an inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. And this inheritance is all that you need for life and godliness. And I sincerely believe that what you have is the Holy Spirit of God. That's what you have. That is what has been given to you. And he has been described as an inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. Because the Holy Spirit is the free gift that has been given to you, that has been offered, which is the very solution to the problem of humanity that was defined in the beginning of our records, which is Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, where he said that in the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will surely die, where they lost the indwelling presence of the life of God that had been breathed within them in accordance with the law of sin and death. That now that problem has been solved. Now that spirit has been restored. And that spirit has been restored in the context of the death of the living God who manifested in the flesh. And one of the ways that he has described this free gift that has been given to us is in the context of a will that has gone into effect as a result of his death. That the will of God is the description of an inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. And I explain this in detail in the programs that I did on Hebrews chapter 9 with reference to the will of God. I also have some specific programs that I have done on the subject of the will of God. I've done two hours on the subject of the will of God that I have produced on CD. And you can also download those files for free off of the Living God Ministries radio archive. But in this context, I'd just like to mention that he has equipped you in every good thing because his will has gone into effect so that you can do his will. And what is his will? It is that you receive what he has for you. And if you receive what he has for you, 
Then you will share with others what he has given to you. You will do good to others because that is the goodness that they truly need. And if you do that, then you will continue to live a life of thankfulness, as he described this between verses 15 and 20. Now, this is what I want you to understand in your own life right now, and that is that just as the Hebrews struggled with these issues, you do too. I know you do, because everybody who I've encountered has struggled with these issues or continues to struggle with these issues. To one extent or another, even I continue to wrestle with some of these things in my own personal life. That's why I know so much about this subject, is because it is a very personal subject to me. And I have spoken a great deal out of the depths of what the Lord has revealed to me in light of my own growth and maturity in my relationship with Him through Christ Jesus. But you will find that not only you but others are struggling with these same issues concerning the temple that they worship in and the priesthood who they are attached to and associated with. And they are fully dependent on the offerings or the praise services or the things that are done in the temples, in the tabernacles, in the churches that we have today that are looked at in the exact same or at least in a relatively similar way that the Hebrews looked at their temple in Jerusalem. So also there are many Christians today who look at their churches in a very similar way. And you're going to find that if you begin to truly embrace the forgiveness of God for you, and subsequently from that, if you begin to experience the freedom that is available for you from the law, and I'm not referring to just the Mosaic law, there's also every system of law that you find within every denomination. Every Christian denomination can be defined in terms of the laws that they obey in order to govern their own individual unique society that they have there. Any system of law will do. It'll still have the exact same effect. And when you embrace the forgiveness for your sins that has been given to you, you're going to find that you're going to experience a sense of freedom from the law. And if you do, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you will probably have to depart. You'll probably have to leave the congregation that you are a part of. And I want you to look at this letter very closely and realize the struggle that the Hebrews had. Because I believe that you will be able to understand a little bit about what they were dealing with. If they departed from the temple, they would lose an awful lot more than just a handful of friends or perhaps some of their family. They would lose opportunities for working. They would lose opportunities for engaging in business and in trade. Many of them had to leave the country because of the persecution that they experienced because they believed that. The Apostle Paul was somebody who was cast out of Jerusalem. He was captured. People tried to murder him. He eventually found himself in Rome, and he died there because of this belief that I am describing. You know, the other apostles, they never fully embraced this, in my opinion. And because of that, they never experienced the same kind of persecution that the Apostle Paul experienced when he went into that area, when he went to town. They weren't throwing out the other apostles because I don't think they really understood this subject as the Apostle Paul did. But that, of course, is an opportunity for another series of programs concerning that subject. For now, I just want you to see that if you find yourself in a situation where you feel that you have to depart from where you are and from what you're a part of, to do so. And to do so thankfully. Because if that's what you believe, if you're going to believe that, then you believe it regardless of the cost. And if it's true, 
There is nothing that you will truly lose. You may feel as though you are losing something, especially when others tell you how much they think you're losing. But what you will gain in the freedom and in the joy and in the peace that you will experience as you experience rest, probably for the first time in the deepest part of your soul, is so great that eventually, as you begin to actually mature in your faith in very profound ways, and you experience your God for who He is, you will one day turn back and say, My goodness, I don't understand why I struggled with continuing to be a part of that temple. And when you do, have mercy on those who continue to struggle with the same issues and have an understanding that just as you wrestled with these subjects, so also it is good for them to wrestle with these subjects because it is through the wrestling and the struggling and the suffering over what we think we're going to lose and the gaining of what we did not really understand until after we experienced it personally. It's through that that we truly grow and mature into people of depth and conviction because we know our God for who he is. This concludes this study on the book of Hebrews, going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. The total number of programs that I produced to be broadcasted turned out to be 63. That's a total of 31 and a half hours. That's a lot of content. I do want to express my sincere thanks to those of you who have contributed towards this work. I'm very thankful for it. I'm very thankful for the privilege of being able to produce this. And I'd like to ask that if you have heard this program, if you have heard any of the programs that I developed for this study, if you have an interest in assisting me in producing more content, more materials of this caliber, then please do consider contributing towards the work that I am doing. If you would like to receive the CDs for these programs, then please do contact me, and I will make them available as best I can. If you would like to receive the full-quality MP3 audio files that I use to burn CDs, the same files that I upload to the radio stations for broadcasting, if you would like those files, please do contact me, and I will send you those files for free at no cost. And if you do receive these files from me, please do produce many CDs and distribute this content to as many people as you can at no cost. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,